Greetings in the name of our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This devotional is titled, Amazed at the Greatest Sermon Ever Given. And so, the series concludes. Matthew 5 through 7 is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount, but it has aptly been dubbed the greatest sermon ever given. In this sermon, Christ contrasts the outward ritualistic, legalistic, hypocritical righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees with that of, the, with that of righteous living born out of true repentance, Matthew 5.20. The issue is what will govern our life? Will it be religious legalism or the lordship of Christ? Christ emphasized that right living flows from a changed heart which aligns with the truth of who he is as Lord. This is characteristic of those who will inherit the kingdom. John Phillips says, Some evade the application of the sermon. They say, This teaching is Jewish and not for the church, or This counsel of perfection is impractical, or This is the rule of conduct for Christ's future kingdom. End of quote. To these types of evasion, Warren Wiersbe correctly responded, quote, We cannot lightly dismiss this sermon, for it is God who gave it to us. We must either bow before him and submit to his authority, or we will be condemned. End of quote. Amen. Matthew 7.28 says, And so it was. When Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching. When Jesus got done teaching the Sermon on the Mount, the people were astonished. The idea of astonished is that, the, is that of sheer amazement, a state of awe, or being overwhelmed. I think what amazed them was his dogmatism about salvation, about how some, even though professing, Lord, Lord, so strongly, are not truly saved. You see, the Jews tended to think and teach that as Jews, they were all automatically saved as the favored people of God. So what Christ said was astonishing. I also think it was staggering for them, for them to hear Jesus attaching salvation directly, first person, to himself and his lordship authority. This was startling. It was shocking. No one else ever dared say these kinds of things. The word teaching can refer to either content or manner. <clears throat> Evidently, both are in view here. Upon hearing the content of Christ's teaching, verse 28 says the people were astonished. But then verse 29 goes on to address the manner of Christ's teaching, saying that he taught as one having authority. It is pointed out that while they were astonished, it says nothing about a heart commitment. However, Jesus calls for allegiance to him as Lord, and not just amazement, as the whole surrounding context shows. If God showed up in person to teach us, what would it look like? It would look like Jesus. He was God in the flesh, and his manner of teaching and the content of it blew the people's minds. The wisdom and power of Jesus' words was amazing. Jesus never lost an argument. When Jesus asked the questions, he left his critics just sitting there in silence. He never had to say, I don't know. I'll get back to you on that. He was never at a loss for words. He never said something really stupid like I often do. Instantly, he always knew what to say 
and it was always stunningly profound. We marvel at his supernatural miracles, but just as astounding was his teaching, it too is one of the great proofs that he is the Messiah. No one ever taught like Jesus did, either before or after him. Matthew 7.29 says, For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Here is the standout thing. Jesus taught as one having authority in contrast to the scribes. The scribes were the scholars of the day. GotQuestions.org says, Scribes in ancient Israel were learned men whose business was to study the law, transcribe it, and write the commentaries on it. The scribes took their job of preserving scripture very seriously. They would copy and recopy the Bible meticulously, even counting letters and spaces to ensure each copy was correct. We can thank the Jewish scribes for preserving the Old Testament portion of our Bibles. End of quote. Most of the influential, influential scribes were laymen and were also members of the conservative Pharisaic party. For this reason, the scribes are often linked together with the Pharisees. But here was the problem. The scribes also considered themselves the guardians of the so-called oral law. Supposedly, God not only gave Moses the written word, but also the oral word. That is where they really got into trouble. In addition to the written law, they also added to it all kinds of legalistic man-made teachings called the oral law. In contrast, Christ brought the people back to the intent of the law and presented a higher spiritual standard, which can only be fulfilled in relationship to him. Compare Matthew 5.17. For example, Christ taught it is not enough to refrain from physical adultery. One must not even look on a woman to lust after her. For to do so is to commit adultery in the heart. Matthew 5.28. While the scribes emphasized outward legalism, in contrast, Christ emphasized having a right heart. The scribes were scholars, and scholars are always quoting some other authority to back up what they are saying. Jesus did not need to do that. As someone said, quote, he didn't need to quote anyone because he was the original word. John 1.1, 1, 1. end of quote. Jesus himself was the message. He was the ultimate communication from God. He was the communication of God from God. He himself was the word. In contrast, the scribes are called, quote, walking footnotes, who, de who derive their authority by citing other famous rabbis. End of quote. Moody Bible Commentary. Indeed, they were walking footnotes. The introduction of the idea of authority becomes a major theme in Matthew. Jesus' authority in teaching Matthew 5-7 through segues to his authority as seen in his miracle-working ministry in Matthew 8-10. through And this emphasis on authority became a major point of contention as the religious leaders felt threatened by Jesus. They had a problem with his lack of official credentials. Never mind that he had all the God-ordained messianic credentials outlined in the prophetic scriptures. This is why they constantly challenged Jesus. This explains the tension over the traditions, their demand for signs, and their challenging questions regarding authority. In effect, these religious leaders were constantly saying to Jesus, Who do you think you are? Matthew 21, 23, Now when he came to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? End of quote. This is why when Jesus said things like, You have heard 
But I tell you, in what is called the six antithesis statements in the Sermon on the Mount, that his voice of authority was met with hostility from these religious leaders. In each case, Christ explained that what they had been taught about mere external emphasis of the law is to have a deeper corresponding internal reality. Jesus made it a heart issue. The theme of Christ's Sermon on the Mount is a message about righteous living. Christ emphasized that his teaching must be received with the obedience of repentance in view of who he is as the Messiah King. His entire message is not merely ethical, but messianic. It is grounded not merely in doing this or that, but in who he is. He was not merely a prophet, but claimed to be Lord. He determines who enters the kingdom. Why should we adhere to Christ's words in the Sermon on the Mount? Why should we put it into practice? Because of its stunning illustrations? Because of the beauty of its style? Because of the power of its moral content? No. As followers of Christ, we practice it because beyond its ethical, moral, and spiritual teaching is the person of the preacher himself. Recognizing Jesus as Lord and Savior means that we seek to do what he says. In repentance, he calls us to allegiance to himself as Lord. Above all this, his message is about his authority as the Messiah as the Christ. As Lord, Christ speaks with authority, and true faith responds with obedience. That is a bottom line issue. That is the conclusion of the whole matter as emphasized by Christ here at the end of the greatest sermon ever given. Build your life accordingly. Let me ask you, who is Jesus to you? Is he truly your Lord? That is, your master? Is he your Savior. As Savior, he died for all of our sins. As Lord God over all, he arose again the third day. Are you building your life upon him as Savior and Lord? This is the ultimate issue, the ultimate eternal issue. Acts 16.31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Lord, I pray that you would have your way in all of our hearts. Might we see you for who you are. Yes, as the promised Christ who would come, who would be both divine and human in one person. And as true believers, uh, we recognize you as, as our Lord, as our God master, as the one who died for our sins as our Savior, rose again as life, life itself. You are our life as we believe in you. And may indeed you have your way in, in every heart and every life as we consider the truth, the claims of Jesus Christ for who he is as the one who has ultimate authority as the Lord. I pray in his name. Amen.